0: Welcome to the Criterion Chat, a podcast about cinema in the Criterion Collection. I'm Matt Peterson, joined by Nate Myers. Tonight, Francesco Rossi's 1965 film, The Moment of Truth. Miguel, played by Miguel Mateo, dreams of fame and fortune. Like Luke Skywalker, he tires of the farm and looks to the horizon, fleeing to Barcelona for new opportunities. Finding work is a struggle and he soon turns to the sport of bullfighting, quickly rising through the ranks to become a dazzling star in Madrid. Soon, his success becomes a burden, and possibly a curse. Mateo's performance is shockingly honest, likely due to his own real-life experience as a bullfighter. Rossi's documentary-like film is visceral, disturbing, violent, yet intriguingly beautiful, in its unvarnished depiction of Man Against Beast. Released by Criterion on Blu-ray in 2011, many consider this to be the greatest bullfighter film ever made. Join Nate and me as we lock horns over this unique offshoot of neorealist cinema. So Nate, uh, this is one of those criterion titles that always kind of caught my eye. Uh, hadn't seen it until watching it for our conversation here tonight. Um, and, and I think I've officially become a vegetarian after watching this film. I'll turn it over to you. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Matt, I, and just getting ready for this, I'd never seen this film before. I hadn't even heard of it when you announced it last month that we would be discussing it. So in addition to watching the film, I did a little bit of extra research on it just to try to have some things to say here tonight. I came to the Wikipedia article as I was looking at this, which is very scant. It gives you the list of the cast, and that's about it. Uh, I loved its plot description here. I'm going to read it word for word. Miguel leaves the countryside because he doesn't want to become a poor farmer like his father. In the big city, he tries everything to make it, but accomplishes nothing until he becomes a bullfighter. That's it. That's all that's in the plot description. <laughs> um, and uh, and quite frankly, that's all there is in this movie. I uh, I definitely found myself, particularly with the scenes with the running of the bulls, you know, the, those shots, which are all obviously just captured footage. It's, you know, real events that they're recording yeah. uh, and putting into the finished film. And, you know, I found myself at times being just genuinely kind of, alarmed and and really quite nervous watching it, particularly just seeing this wild beast charge through a crowd of people, you know, and I I just couldn't help but, and I have to be somewhat cognizant of the fact that this is obviously something that culturally I have no experience with. Yeah, I've never lived in Spain. I I don't have a Spanish ancestry. Uh, And so the the bullfighting element is not something that I really have a connection to. Uh, And when I see it, it definitely strikes me as being peculiar and odd, and I cannot fathom why you would want to have a wild animal like a bull running through a crowd of people, and watching this did not answer the question as to why you'd want to do that. I I don't feel any closer to understanding it than when I uh, sat down to first watch the film. Um, It was, besides that striking viscerality of those shots, I thought ultimately really not much to discuss. I'd be interested to see how our conversations go here tonight, because I really can't find myself grabbing a hold of much here. I mean, I think the film could have gone in a number of different directions. You know, I I kept thinking of as I was watching it. uh, Ernest Hemingway, Death in the Afternoon, uh, The Sun Also Rises, right? Both of his treatises that deal with, well, one's a novel, but both dealing with bullfighting. He, He articulates the idea of bullfighting very well in those books and goes interesting places for them narratively and really kind of gives an insight into what this, sport or art, if you want to think of it even to that level, is about. And I never really felt like this film ever got there. Uh, I felt like Rossi's uh, work was fundamentally unformed. I just think that it seemed like it's raw footage that has a loose, and I can't stress this word enough, a loose narrative to kind of hold it together, but doesn't actually say much at the end of it.
0: Yeah, I mean in all seriousness, I I think this is a challenging film and it it disturbed me in a way that I didn't expect. I mean, you you mentioned the running of the bulls footage and and there's a lot of just shockingly graphic footage in this film. I mean, not not only people being injured, but you know, animals of course too, and the bulls in particular um And the film just doesn't shy away from it. If you have a
1: friend that's in PETA, don't have them watch this movie, right?
0: (laughs) Yeah, well, yeah, it makes the ending of Apocalypse Now, you know, seem like Sesame Street or something. Um, It's, you know, I I appreciate the film's honesty in that regard. And I I think you make a good point to say that, okay, this is a a cultural touchstone in Spain, right? I mean, it's not something that we necessarily understand um, and it, it's probably pretty difficult to understand unless you grow up in that culture. And and there's a a sense of, of reverence, I I think for what's going on on screen. Right. I mean, you you could say some of this footage has an exploitative quality to it. You know, that it's just trying to shock the audience, but I I never get the sense that that was its real intent. Right. It, it, it's uh, it really is a documentary more than anything. I mean, that's what strikes me about, about this film Uh, is it's a documentary with uh, a narrative kind of construct attached to it. Right. And, and that does create a a narrative film that doesn't have much to it. And um, I I think your assessment is pretty accurate in that regard. Uh, It's, yeah, I I was struggling to frame our conversation today And, and I, a lot of times when we sit down to do these, I, I think to myself, gosh, how are we going to talk for an hour about this film? And somehow we always manage to do it. <laughs> this one may may uh, not make it. I don't know. Uh, we'll see how it goes. But, um, you know, I, I think it's easy to be critical of this film. And, and not, not that we shouldn't be. I, I think there's, there's plenty to criticize here. But I, I do want to start, I guess, before we maybe get into deconstructing it a bit more. Just talking about some of the, the positive aspects of it, I mean, I, I do think the film does have uh, kind of a visceral beauty to it at times. I think it's very well photographed. Um, a, a lot of the, the documentary footage is very cinema verite, right? Handheld, pretty rough. Uh, the editing is even, uh, has a, a new wave quality to it at times. But I the actual narrative segments you know with the main character uh some of those shots are are quite striking and and the use of the long lenses to really kind of put the audience in um in kind of those more intense moments within the bullfighting ring i think are pretty effective um but it's it's a fascinating kind of curiosity of a film in a way that uh I wish we could find more background information on it and I don't have the disc I know there's an interview with the director on the disc I I watched this on the Criterion channel so it's hard for me to kind of uh, do the research to know you know how did this film come together Uh, what was the intent you know was this really just like a documentary that they decided to make into a narrative film there's just a lot of unanswered questions here
1: well, I did watch that interview. It's on the Criterion Channel. Uh, it's about a 13,14 minute thing with Francesco Rossi. Oh, okay who obviously, as you've mentioned, was Italian neorealism. Uh, Salvatore Giuliano was shortly before this. and I think this was his first film in color and with a scope aspect ratio, which is an interesting choice, considering how much it has that cinema Verite style. Uh, long lenses you know it's like 300 millimeter lenses a lot of the time that they were shooting on he said yeah and it sounded like you know he really came to this partly because he was he had run out of ideas he didn't really know what to do and the suggestion of going to Spain to make a movie had been presented to him he didn't really know Spain well but as he got over there this is what kind of captured his imagination while he was in Spain and then started filming bullfights and then out of that, uh, got the sort of a, a loose idea. Not even really a screen. I, he said there was no screenplay uh, for this film, and I think that's very, very obvious if you're watching it. Um, that there wasn't really a narrative structure or anything, and everything seems to have been built around the footage he got for the the actual bullfighting. Mm-hmm. Um, but you're right; there are some striking visuals. I mean, I think just the visuals of uh, Miguelín uh, as he's at home. Back on the farm, you know, just be going in circles. So that visual image of him going in a circle, being dragged by the the donkey, right? It's just it, you get the sense of why this man would want to leave home. It's a, it's a it's a striking image, and when he leaves home, and you have that landscape shot of him as he's heading out, it's a very again striking image, very very expression uh, expressionistic uh, in terms of just helping you get the sense of the isolation, the loneliness of this man. Before he goes into the big city, right? Um, but I also have to say, it is well, you know, certainly, it, I think this film would be better if it had been just a straight documentary, because even with the it, the the effort to try to make it into a narrative film, I think winds up making even the this the successful capturing of the bullfighting less interesting, because I keep wanting it to have reaction shots and you know all the different ways of how you'd cover a scene which you just don't when you're documenting something right if it had been a, a simple documentary with maybe some interviews to explain things or talk about things between the different bullfights i think i would have been a little bit more engaged in it um and just narratively the structure the flow of it is kind of an interesting thing too because it really does feel like this is just a a sequence of bullfights and we're stringing them together.
0: Yeah. That's an interesting point that if it was just a straight documentary, right? The, uh, the bullfights would have more power because you would be viewing them in the mindset of, you know, this is real footage at all times, right? Whereas when you're watching a narrative film, I mean, it's very clear that these are real bullfights and they're integrated into this film but there are, uh, you know, additional moments that are clearly staged that are edited in, uh, to, to make the drama unfold on screen as planned. And it kind of breaks that, um, well, it kind of breaks that illusion, I guess. And, and you start to question, okay, what's real and what isn't. And yeah, as a result, uh, it becomes less powerful. So, um, and, you know, I, I was trying to think of other films that have done this and, and maybe you can think, so, think of some off the top of your head, you know, I, I think red letter media has that, that phrase, uh, shooting the rodeo, right? So yeah, a lot of. Cheap...
1: <laughs> that came to mind watching this for yeah. me, yes.
0: <laughs> <laughs> a lot of cheap B movies, you know, will shoot a real event, right? And, and you get instant production value, right? And. Uh, frequently without permits or without permission, they'll just film something uh, like a scene with with a real event going on in the background or, or uh, mingling among the people at a state fair or something like that. Right. And this felt very much like that, that, okay, this is a way that we can make a film with really an epic scope. You know, we have these huge crowds that are cheering and uh, watching these events very intently. uh, But, you know, we don't have to pay anybody to be an extra. So the, I think there's a financial component to what we're seeing here. Uh, but I, other films, I was trying to think of other films that really have this documentary, this quasi-documentary style. Um, I, well, a few of them came to mind, "In Battle Up Algiers came to mind, uh, Z, even Steven Soderbergh's Traffic. I, but all those films even though they have a very heavy documentary style and maybe they even integrate, integrate some real footage of, of real events, they still feel very much like a, a directed narrative film, right? It doesn't feel like this film feels where this just clearly seems to be, again, a documentary with a narrative, uh, portion attached as more of an afterthought and I, I don't want to be too dismissive of this film I mean for some reason Criterion picked this film to include in the collection right and and the question is, is why I guess uh, I, I know Rossi's film you, you men- mentioned Salvatore uh, Giuliani is also in the collection and I, I've seen that film and I, I remember thinking that that film was quite good it's been many years since I've seen it and that was definitely more of a traditional narrative type film and this this is just really kind of an oddity and I, I, you know i had mentioned that many consider this to be the greatest bullfighter film ever made i don't know how many other bullfighter films exist i, I suppose if you're really into bullfighting and and you appreciate it as as a sport or as an art uh, this is this is something that might be more compelling but it's it's tough to watch these fights i mean man they just go on and on and on and and again it's it's i think it's a cultural rift but it's it's just hard for me to to, to watch these uh these bulls go through what they're going through during these uh these fights despite the fact that these bullfighters are clearly very skilled at what they do and I, you know i have to recognize that
1: yeah, you know it's an interesting uh, question about why is this in the collection. I know we'll later on get to that question, whether we think it should be at the end of our episode here. Yeah. Uh, but when I was watching this, I wasn't so much thinking about that as much as I was thinking about you, the fact that uh, the film is clearly a blending of different cinematic styles in the sense that it's trying to take narrative and documentary filmmaking and mesh them into one. And there are other films that have done that. The one that comes to mind right off the top of my head is medium cool, which was, I think a few years after it's like 69 or something like that, which, you know, takes a lot of documentary footage of the civic unrest in the United States and then builds a narrative out of what it had filmed. And that was something as I was thinking about this film, because the shoot the rodeo uh, uh, phrase from Red Letter Media was on my mind with this as I was watching it. And you definitely can see, yes, there is a sense that you immediately have events and you have something that fills up a lot of time on screen. I mean, I, don't, I didn't break it down by minute, but without the, uh, without the bullfights, it probably can't be much more than, what, maybe 30 minutes of, of actual other footage or 40 minutes at most.
0: Yeah, at so the most, it's I would not,
1: say. A, not a lot of time for the narrative. Uh, but I think that what makes this different than some of those cheap B movies that would just, okay, we're trying to make a movie. What do we got to do? We'll do this. We'll do that. Right. This does feel different than those. I think it's because there wasn't really a specific idea of, oh, we're trying to tell a story. And then there's this other thing I can do to shoehorn in, to make my movie feel more like a real movie. You know, that's what you might think of. If I'm making a movie, I have no money. I have just some uh, actors or some friends. And then, like, oh, my gosh, it's the it's the town festival. Let's go over there and shoot it and have people run around in it. And then we'll we'll just make that somehow be a part of the story that we're telling, even though it doesn't really fit or have anything to do with it. This isn't that way. I think it's because it starts out with the bullfighting first and then figures out, well, let's try to tell a story about this specific bullfighter of Megalene uh, that... that that, therefore it strikes me as not feeling the, the same kind of sense of shoehorned in element that you have here. If anything, the narrative feels shoehorned in, uh, it's the exact opposite of how those other ones might work. Um, but I I don't know if you had any thought about that or a reaction to just how that link works or doesn't work compared to other kinds of movies like this.
0: Yeah. I, I think that's a good observation as well. I, yeah, you're right. A lot of these B movies will take that real event to try to give their preexisting story more production value, right? And and this does feel like it's the other way around. Um, I, I mean, I, I do want to mention um, the the performance by um, Miguel Mateo, who's who was a real life bullfighter. I think he does a good job with what he's given, and he does have a good screen presence, and obviously he sells the bullfighting sequences very well. And uh, you know, the film doesn't have to cut around the use of a stunt double, which is helpful uh, to make those those film or those sequences more impactful. But it is kind of a shame because if if this. Film was approached, I think, more like a traditional narrative film, that they spent more time actually developing a screenplay with other characters, you know, supporting characters, and, and really bringing a sense of depth and complexity to, to the question of you know, what does it take to be a bullfighter, uh, not only from an endurance level or, or sportsmanship level, uh, or skill level, but just the, the psychological impact of that uh, of that pursuit. You know, if if they really took the time to develop an impactful story like that, you know, even if you're integrating real documentary uh, footage, that could be very very effective, right? And and the fact that this film is kind of lopsided in the other direction uh, does does weaken those narrative elements. I think their intent was to really try to create something as visceral and, and violent and even disturbing as possible at times with that real-life footage, and they were hoping that that would carry any of the the weakness in, in the narrative uh, through lines. So uh, I think there's a lot of potential in this film to uh, to examine this in a more meaningful way, but it's... Yeah, it's, it's unfortunate that they, they seem to kind of go more for the, um, I don't know if I want to say the gratuitous route, but uh, certainly they're trying to make something more focused on the shocks and the thrills than, than anything more substantive from a narrative standpoint.
1: Well, I think, you know, I don't know if I'd say quite gratuitous here. I mean, it, it feels gratuitous just because of how thin the narrative is. Like you said, uh, Miguel Mateo, I think, is very competent for what he's being given. It's, it's obviously that sense of just using non professional actors, you know, and, and films like this are known to have that. And you just are almost relying entirely on the face and on the physicality of the person. And he obviously can do this because he is a real bullfighter and thus when you see him out there you really have the sense of who this man is but even in the earlier scenes when you see him uh getting to the big city and articulating that he wants to find work and he's just basically becomes a bullfighter because he sees it as a way to quick cash uh and coming back home and then having things to give to his family you know buying them the telephone and things like that right it's he does well in those scenes, and I think he is—he is a strong physical presence, screen presence in this particular story. Uh, but the way the narrative is set up, I think, really makes the character that he's playing just get dwarfed by everything else. Now, on some level, that's probably—that's probably the intention. I mean, I, I obviously it's the intention because I mean, Rosie and everybody designed it this way, right? Uh, but I think that the the lengthiness of the bullfights and the the shockingness of just seeing actual animals being killed right and seeing them stabbed and stabbed and stabbed and then eventually slit and kind of you know after enough time eventually just falling and dropping dead right um, it, it it it's gut wrenching and it is agonizing but I think that if you're trying to really document bullfighting you have to kind of allow that right you have to have a sense of letting that happen, but I think what kind of drags on and why it maybe feels more exploitative is that each bullfight more or less is shot and depicted exactly the same, right? And so if you think about a movie that's like, let's say it's a boxing movie, you know, each fight, you might have like three boxing matches in a movie or four or whatever it might be, but usually you approach each one a little differently and you might want to, and one of them show like, oh man, this is really exhausting and physically dangerous right and you might then the next one want to show uh the psychology of a character and then the next one you show something else right you you flesh out different nuances within the different scenes this one just keeps being the exact same thing over and over and over and the story around those scenes is so oddly paced right so i think it was like 30 minutes into the movie before we actually get to miguel actually like even expressing an interest or going to some sort of training uh, for bullfighting because you have such a long time with that opening uh, clear documentary footage of the, the festival uh, and watching the, the religious procession and then the running of the bulls, right? That takes almost a half hour before, or 20 minutes or something like that before you move into anything else. Then you're about another 10 minutes before you get to the city. And then it's like another half hour before you actually have the full, first real true bullfight. Uh so you're like, you're halfway into this film before you get to something that probably needed to already be there by like the 30-minute mark, right? And then the it's like the last 10 minutes when all of a sudden we hear uh, Migueline uh, say that he's, you know, having nerves and he's anxious and he's thinking he, you know, he what's this worth? Is this really something he should keep doing? And, you know, maybe it's, it's something he needs to quit. And, you know, you go, boy, that's a conversation that needed to take place and a character insight that needed to happen probably with like a good solid 25 minutes or so of the movie left. Right. Instead of shoehorning in this narrative so quick, uh, you know, it's, it's clearly given the sense of an afterthought, which then makes, I think the, the fact that the narrative doesn't flow well, makes the bullfighting all the more seem to be oppressive. But maybe that was, maybe that was Rosie's point.
0: Yeah, maybe I, I, again, I, I'll have to seek out that interview. I mean, I don't know if he had any more insight from from that conversation, if that's on the on the Criterion Channel. But um, it it seems like, I mean, I almost wonder if he's being critical of, of bullfighting in general here, or or if he does have a real reverence I didn't reverence think so
1: from it. his interview.
0: Okay. Yeah, it's kind of it's kind of hard where to he tell. Would Stand
1: on it. Because uh, he, he he definitely saw bullfighting. I think he's trying to uh, document what it means to others, right? And trying to get inside the reality of what the actual people who participate in it see in it, right? I think he really wants to be honest with it and approach it without much judgment uh, from just his comments. Uh, he never said uh, something that would tip his hand to having a personal revulsion of it or anything like that. Uh, but... At the same time, he did articulate something that I don't know that came through in the final film, in which he saw the film being really ultimately, or the, the actual, the, the significance of a bullfight, being about, you know, reason, the, the human being who can strategize and reason and, and, and consider what to do, versus the bull, which has just this brute force, and the, the two things squaring off against each other in the world. Which is a fascinating thing. I mean, I think you could build a real great narrative around that and use the use the bullfighting as a symbol of that kind of maybe two different ways of approaching life or politics or civil, uh, civilization, right? You know, yeah. brute force of the world and, and the human person with a, a, an intellect, right? In this kind of brutal world, it could be a great symbol of that or something. But I don't feel like the film ever really... Got there in terms of trying to articulate that point, uh, but maybe you saw something like that.
0: No, I, I guess I didn't. Uh, it, w- it would have been nice if, the, if that <laughs> was there. I, I do think that that would have been a nice. That could be uh, a great movie. <laughs> yeah, well, there you go. Let's start writing it. <laughs> no, I. Your point about the the different fights is well taken. To just say, you know, I was thinking about Raging Bull, you know where. There's a prime example of every fight is is a touchstone for the character Jake LaMotta in some way, right? I mean, even just the little montage of various fights uh, is commenting on his life at that moment in in a, in a meaningful way. Uh, where yeah, whereas here it's just as you said, it's it's the same same thing over and over. I mean, any any of those fights could be interchange within the film and not really change the film in a substantive way. And, and that's, that's too bad. I mean, it, granted it, it would be difficult to, to build in the proper narrative moments within those fights without them being entirely staged, I suppose, or, or, or very, you know, a gr- good be, portion of them. Be,
1: especially considering. Yeah. Yeah. I was just thinking about it because of, like, if you think of the technology they had at the time. Yeah. You know, just to make an edit that could try to match would be so hard, right? And, uh, I mean, to its credit, I mean, it's definitely a real bullfight. You know, I mean, you are very, I I did find myself, while I kind of was meandering in my thoughts at different points in time, when the bullfights were taking place, I did find myself kind of hypnotized by them, in a way.
0: Yeah, I mean, especially the first, first couple times that you're you're seeing in, in the film, uh, it's almost hard to comprehend what you're you're looking at, and you just question the sanity of of these individuals that choose to go out and do this, right? And, but it, it's, I guess it's a, a drive and a desire that's as old as, as time in some ways, I mean, you could make parallels to the, the gladiators, you know, it's kind of a modern form of, uh, of gladiator combat in a way. And, and, the the various bullfighters are elevated to heroic status in a similar fashion. So there's, there's an ancient quality to what we're seeing here, right. That I, I think, uh, really informs, a deep level of meaning to what we're, we're seeing despite the, despite the brutality or despite how difficult it is to, to watch. Um, and I I think Rossi is probably trying to tap into that, that sort of ancient quality, uh, that connects it to many, many different forms of combat throughout history. Right. But yeah, again, it's, it's, not tied into the narrative elements enough, and and the arc that we do see is very very predictable, right? Uh, as you said, it's the
1: yeah the kind of the, the manipulative manager that yeah, comes in. They're, and they're
0: like, trying to exploit him for money, maybe too much and, of the
1: cut, and yeah, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, and and even the ending is is pretty. Uh, Pretty I could much. have told
1: you a long time before that that was going to be the ending. Yeah,
0: yeah. Yep. <laughs> he's going to the the little rundown town uh, just to fight for money, and and he's objecting to it. And it's like, okay, we know what's going to happen here, and sure enough, mm-hmm. and uh, it's disappointing. It's disappointing because I, you know, when I started watching this film, I was like, okay, this is interesting. You know, we're we're incorporating real footage and we're taking a real documentary approach here. And I really like documentary style narrative films in general. I've always kind of liked that approach and yeah, it just just became clear that, okay, this is something that I didn't quite anticipate uh, in terms of how it was playing out structurally. And, and even the, the, the narrative portions um, you know, it's a lot of footage of, of our main character kind of walking around and, and we get those nice location shots but anything that involves dialogue is is pretty constricted in terms of location right it's it's at a party or it's in a restaurant or it it, it just feels like okay well you know saturday we're going to go uh go to so and so's house and we're going to shoot this scene and everybody kind of got together and shot the little bit and there you go there's there's your scene for uh, for that portion of the film, so it has, it has a kind of guerrilla quality to it, and a, a low budget quality to it that, that can be endearing, but it's, uh, yeah, it, it doesn't really help the film, unfortunately.
1: Right. I mean, I definitely kept thinking to myself watching this film about the budget. You know, like how much. Did it, you know, like, did they put into the, you know, travel to Spain and how much money do they have? And they're like, oh, crap, we we have no money, but we have this movie that we've shot. We kind of need to get out. And so, therefore, who's around? Who can we, you know, make a movie with, right? Yeah. Uh, So, I mean, it did feel that way very much as I kept walking through it. I will say one thing, though, that whether it's intentional or not, by just having these scenes play out, particularly the bullfights play out so long it did make me start thinking about things like I started really thinking about the ethics of it right uh obviously I think as somebody who has no cultural background you know the immediate response is aversion but then you start going okay well like you made the point there Matt about ancient sports and gladiatorial sports and you start thinking about okay so is this actually a a movement towards a more civilized form of an instinct that that got passed on and what kind of cultural things are attached to it, right? And actually, I did a little bit of afterwards, just a little bit of uh, research into bullfighting and the different thoughts they have about it and. The Epic of Gilgamesh, evidently, is where they think they had the first historical written documentation of a bullfight hmm. uh, having occurred, you know, and so it's it sounds like, okay, there's an actually interesting thing, and, you know, just the religious component, right, because you see uh, Megalene, obviously, with a certain kind of devotion, and I guess that's a very common thing for certain bullfighters, but at the same time, for a while, the the, pre- the bullfighting was made illegal, and it was excommunicable to be a part of it so it's it started me down a very interesting history of bullfighting and the the complicated response that it's elicited within people for a a number of, of centuries now and yet it continues to exist in certain parts of the world as it's being outlawed in other parts of the world so it did make me really kind of just think about culture in a way that didn't hold my hand through it, right? Uh, and there is something I will say is refreshing to have a film that doesn't feel the need to tell you what to think and feel every step of the way. While I think this film would have benefited from maybe a little bit more structure and narrative flow and not such a sluggish pacing, nonetheless, I did appreciate the fact that you know it made me start thinking about why am I responding to this the way I am?
0: Yeah, I mean it, it, we talk about cinematic, you know, Rorschach tests quite a bit and I, I I do think this this falls into that camp too and and it's easy to have the sort of repulsed reaction right away and but I, I do think it's important to consider it within an historical context. I mean, the, this is in a way an interesting portrait of early 1960s spain as well right i mean we're we're seeing these real people these real events and it is kind of a portrait in that regard uh, of a of a bygone era and I, I don't even know um how common are bullfights nowadays even i mean is it something that, that's still widely done i don't even know did, did you come across that in your in your research
1: so it is. It is legal and still done in Spain, southern France, uh, Ecuador, Chile, and in Mexico.
0: Hmm. Okay, so still pretty wide. There might be practiced. some other Latin
1: American country I forgot, but yeah.
0: And, and again, despite the you know what, what looks to be pretty extreme cruelty toward the animal, uh, you still get the sense that there is a reverence. Uh, it's a it's towards the bull, right? And uh, there, it's an odd way of showing it, to be sure. But uh, the juxtaposition of religious imagery is is important here too. And you mentioned that, and and there's a real, I, I think, recognition that the bullfight is in many ways a microcosm for life right i mean i I think rossi's probably getting to that as well that uh you had alluded to just the the never-ending battle between the forces of nature and human ingenuity and human instinct and how that can cause one to be victorious at times and also cause one to be gored (laughs) at other times so uh I I think you can look at the bullfight from that perspective as well, that it's this, um, it's, it's a dance, right? It's, it's how, how close can you get to the tips of the horns without, uh, without paying the ultimate price and, and what's the reward if you, if you do bypass, uh, bypass death in that moment. And, and for, you know miguel we we see the reward here at least in the short term is is money and fame and and he comes to question the the value of that so i i think the film is is trying to get at some of these issues uh it's it's hinting at them it's kind of poking at them but yeah it's it's unfortunate that that it do, didn't take the time to uh to really call us
1: yeah, it's clunky, right? Whenever it's trying to tap into something more formal, it's very clunky uh, yeah. in what it does.
0: Yeah. Well, anything else to add? I mean, we can. This this probably will be a shorter conversation. I mean, I I feel like I don't want to keep uh, beating up on this film. It's <laughs> well, it's there's something not a lot that... to
1: say. I mean, it's uh... yeah. <laughs> I guess I would say this. I think for people who really want to understand or it's it's a film that could work for people who maybe really are or at least it's worth seeing for people who really want to see cinematic language in all of its different ways right and That's a good really point. want to try to understand documentary versus non-documentary and all those different things and because this is technically not not a documentary but it kind of sort of should be because so much of it is just actual documented footage you know, so it's, I think it's, for somebody who loves cinema and really wants to understand cinema, there is a value in watching this movie. But if you're not that person, I think you'd be just horribly bored, maybe even offended by, by the film.
0: Yeah, it's it's shocking. It's definitely shocking. And it, again, it doesn't shy away from those moments and, and focuses on them uh, quite graphically. So yeah if you're looking at it as a student of of cinema right to say okay uh how can these very disparate styles work together and and is this effective or is this not effective and and what are the other films that maybe have done it better you know this this has value i think in that regard but um right it 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 might be a tough sell for most people um
1: I was thinking, though, during it, how could you make this into like a more commercial film? You know, As I was watching I just thought, what would you do if you wanted to sell this to a studio or get a big studio release of it? So you start thinking about how you could restructure this or that or develop this theme, add a love interest or whatever it might be. Uh, but then my mind went into a very surreal <laughs> phrase. So you can cut this out if you want to, but I'm going I'm to tell you it anyway, and you can decide if you want to keep it in our episode.
0: Go for it. But I had
1: this idea because... So you have Migaline who's like saying like, I don't know if I want to do this anymore. Then the impresario is wanting to keep him doing it right. And so, you know, and I thought to myself, wouldn't it be funny if during the fight, almost like a Spartacus gladiatorial moment where like they they stop fighting and he kind of announces he's no longer at war with with the bull. The bull is able to actually speak... (laughs) <laughs> oh, I really no. went into a weird place there.
0: It's like a David Lynch <laughs> movie. And the Lynch two movie. of them
1: teamed up. <laughs> the two of them teamed up, and he he started riding the bull and attacking all the people that had been fight, forcing them to fight. So I, I did go down a very interesting little surreal moment as I was watching this particular movie.
0: Well, this was in the 60s, so maybe if he dropped acid before the fight, you know, that might do it.
1: <laughs> yeah. You can make it work. <laughs>
0: I I changed my mind. I love this film now. <laughs> well let's let's answer the uh the obvious question. The most obvious question we probably ever asked. Does the moment of truth belong in the Criterion Collection? Nate? No. I would agree. No. You know, this this might be the 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 film we've been the hardest on, not now that I think about it, <laughs> but I, I I think it yeah I think, I think so. it deserves it you know I, I i was really struggling like ma, why is this in the collection like why like it i mean I, I know I touched on it earlier, I mean, is it just the director um it's just not well, they
1: have other stuff of his though, so I don't know about that, yeah. Um, is is it more I mean, is, you it know, just, is it more reviewed in,
0: in Italy or Spain? I mean, is this considered a classic overseas? I don't know.
1: Perhaps. Um, the the Wikipedia it, I mean, does, not, does not does, seem to suggest that. <laughs> well, even IMDB page, I mean, there's really not much anywhere about it. Yeah. I, I do wonder, you know, if Criterion does sometimes like to do just bold, shocking things, yeah. right?
0: Yeah, that's a good uh, point.
1: The Night Porter, Solo, I mean like They 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 do have a tendency to put out some of these more kind of gut-wrenching kinds of movies, right? That that push sensibilities, right? And so I wonder if that just might be an element that they just occasionally want to throw out their shocking cinema.
0: Well, thanks for listening this evening to our conversation. Our discussion next month will be on David Lean's Hobson's Choice, which will be released later in March. Thanks again, and keep collecting.